Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the auto experts at Motor Trend are back with their pick for 2024 Car of the Year. It is a completely fresh redesign of a familiar favorite and previous winner. Also this morning, just in time for holiday entertaining and for anyone who loves to cook, America's Test Kitchen is out with a new book appropriately billed as the ultimate owner's manual for your kitchen. And speaking of which, our Around the World Tour continues with a collection of Canadian recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, November 17th, 2023. Is it possible to actually die of laughter? <laughs> uh, you've heard that, right? I'm, I'm dying of laughter. I've heard people say that. Believe it or not, and obviously that expression is a, an exaggeration, but can people actually die of laughter? Is there any truth behind this? Believe it or not, the answer is yes. Although it is highly unlikely, it is technically possible. There have been, according to the doctors who were interviewed by Live Science, LiveScience.com, they wanted to find find out for sure. And so they uh, talked with doctors and they said there have been documented cases of laughter-related deaths throughout history. And they say there are a few ways that laughter could trigger a negative effect on the body. One of the most vulnerable of these pathways is via the heart. In rare cases, an especially hearty chuckle can cause something called laughter-induced syncope. Syncope? Is that how you pronounce it? S-Y-N-C-O-P-E. Sounds like a medical term that's uh, over my head. Laughter-induced syncope. It is a condition that causes a person's blood pressure to rapidly drop during an exaggerated laugh. This triggers a heightened response from the nervous system, leading to a temporary dip in the amount of blood that flows to the brain, which can result in a loss of consciousness. So, and that apparently could actually lead to death in some individuals. So... It is actually possible to die from laughter. There's a cheery story to start with, but that's that's interesting, isn't it? Very interesting. You remember uh, earlier this week, we mentioned the holidays are right around the corner. Uh, this being the final weekend before we unleash the holiday season. And uh, we were talking about Thanksgiving and the tradition that happens in every household after the big meal somebody maybe several somebodies will fall asleep on the couch or fall asleep in the recliner after the big meal Um, they've overstuffed themselves and uh, just have to uh, to take a nap and we were talking about the actual causes many people blame the turkey and the tryptophan in the turkey but uh, at least one doctor says no that's not it Um, and we were talking about this the other day Uh, I won't go through it all again, but I thought this was uh, kind of interesting. According to a new survey of 2,000 Americans, the perfect Thanksgiving nap lasts 42 minutes. (laughs) We we have a specific amount of time for the perfect 
Thanksgiving nap. It lasts 42 minutes. Uh, the average respondent in the uh, survey also said that the best nap occurs after watching the football game after the big meal. Um, I always nod off during the game. And by the way, that that always happens to me. It doesn't really matter whether it's Thanksgiving or not. If I'm sitting on the couch watching the game just on an average Sunday, um, I'll nod off. Uh, but certainly after the big Thanksgiving meal, 76% believe that napping after eating the Thanksgiving meal is a sign of contentment with the food. So if you are the person responsible for Thanksgiving dinner, consider that a compliment when people fall asleep. And if you are the host, you're probably welcoming uh, that brief respite of your guest's unconsciousness. <laughs> 58% of those in the survey are more likely to take naps during the holiday season. And uh, all told, that is a good thing. Getting a healthy nap uh, is always important, but it is essential during the craziness of the holiday season. Also, a restorative night's rest is good. But uh, absent that, or in addition to that, a, a nap is a good thing. So, there you go. 42 minutes, the perfect holiday nap, post-Thanksgiving post meal nap. Uh, if you are traveling for the Thanksgiving holiday, and we were talking earlier in the week about all of the uh, travel estimates, um, the TSA is preparing for record number of people at the airports. Uh, the airlines are saying that they are seeing demand like they've never seen it before, and AAA says more people are going to be driving as well, so a lot of travelers. If you are traveling into, if you are flying into Seattle's airport, SeaTac, that is where you will wait the longest to get through the airport. Recent study uh, from the uh, website Upgraded Points, 31.6 minutes to get through Seattle's uh, airport. Miami International Airport and Austin Bergstrom were not too far behind. On the other hand, if you want the shortest airport wait, we're talking about uh, getting through security. We're talking about uh, customs and, and immigration if you're coming from an international destination. Uh, if you are flying to John Wayne Airport, that's in Orange County, California, you will only wait 4.6 minutes. So that is a terrific alternative to LAX if you're flying out west. While some airports provide swift passages, other uh, others are akin to time traps, according to Alex Miller, writing for UpgradedPoints.com. The national average uh, last holiday season of uh, wait at the airport, get through security, 23 minutes. 23 minutes. Travelers who arrive, not surprisingly, if you arrive between 5 a.m. and 3 p.m., expect to wait about 20% longer than if you arrive outside of those extremely busy hours that's when everybody wants to fly right 5 a.m to 3 p.m you don't want to fly too late and you certainly don't want to fly too early any earlier than 5 a.m uh, but if you don't mind getting up in the wee hours if you don't mind flying out a little bit later then you can get through security a little quicker um it'll be about 20 percent longer uh, between those busy hours and non-U.S. citizens wait 66% more than Americans uh, who are traveling through the airport. Again, not a big surprise because it takes longer to get through customs and immigration and all of that. But interesting 
pack your patience if you are traveling. And by the way, where are you traveling to? You might want to rethink your destination with this, the dating service, Ashley Madison. Everybody remembers Ashley Madison, right? The website for cheaters, the website for married individuals that connects them to clandestine affairs. They're still around. And uh, they have revealed which cities have the most cheaters. So if you're traveling for the holiday, I want to keep this in mind. If you are looking for a secret rendezvous, the hot cities include Miami, Orlando, Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Tampa. No big surprise that Las Vegas is on the list. I could have guessed that would be in the top five, but Orlando was a little bit of a surprise. All of the family vacations and all of that. Uh, there's a little hanky-panky going on, too, in Orlando, as it turns out. For single people, now this is for married people who are looking to you know, have, a, have an affair. Uh, for single people, the winter months are known as cuffing season. But those looking on Ashley Madison may be looking to uncuff. I don't know. That's what it says in the story. I have no idea what all that means. Infidelity is truly universal when we see people from across the political spectrum joining their site, uh, according to the spokespersons from Ashley Madison. So you might want to rethink where you're going for the holidays. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. This is kind of fun. Um, we... Are coming up on the holiday season uh, being the season of food. I mean, it's all about the food at Thanksgiving and, of course, big Christmas meals. You get into New Year's and, you know, you got all of the, uh, the food and everything. Three quarters of Americans are planning to enjoy the end of the year and not worry about their diet. That is up significantly as compared to last year. According to the sixth annual writing off the end of the year survey, <laughs> 72% of those surveyed this year want to make the most of the rest of the year, regardless of what that means for their diet. The writing off the end of the year survey last year, it was 54% who were just writing off the end of the year. This year it is 72%. Wow. Uh, this, uh, this cavalier attitude may help explain why those in the survey expect to gain eight pounds before the end of the year. Last year, it was five and a half. So more people are gaining more weight or expect to between now and uh, the time the ball drops New Year's Eve. Uh, 50% of respondents admit to having, having eaten so much during the end of the year season that they've had to undo a button on their pants or loosen their belt. Only 50%? I would have guessed that it would have been higher than that, but that's what it says. 35% have eaten until they feel sick or feel like they're going to burst. And respondents say the holidays lead them to eating more than three meals a day. More than three meals a day. Um, 47% say they eat multiple times more than just your standard three meals a day. 42% say they have more than one dessert at a meal. And many, uh, 59%, have eaten more than one of the same meals in a day, which, you know, that's make the rounds, you know, with your multiple family gatherings and Thanksgiving, you have the same turkey dinner over and over and over again. Yeah, 
A lot of people apparently uh, will do that this season. So, you know, some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your uh, Friday morning started. Oh, and uh, by the way, the uh, lights before Christmas at the Toledo Zoo uh, arrive this evening. The lights will shine tonight for the first time. It's more than a million lights, plus their award-winning Big Tree and Ice Slide rides on the holiday train and photo ops with Santa. All part of the fun. Tickets and more can be found at ToledoZoo.org. Lights before Christmas begin tonight. So there you go. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Some showers are expected today with a high around 60, a chance of rain tonight, uh, low in the low 30s. A man was sentenced to prison in Seneca County Common Pleas Court after accepting a plea agreement on multiple counts of drug trafficking. Richard Fred Seaburn III was sentenced to 14 to 19 and a half years in prison with 11 years mandatory. The sentence was the result of three separate drug investigations into Seaburn and Fostoria beginning in June of 2021. Detective Bell with the Seneca County Drug Task Force Metric Enforcement Unit says Mr. Seaburn's history of drug trafficking in Seneca County spanned more than 20 years and his continued action over the past two decades has shown that he's not amenable to changing his behavior and an extended prison sentence was the only option. Get more on the case in the story on our website. Governor DeWine near the scene got emotional when talking about Tuesday's fiery crash on Interstate 70 that killed six people, including three high school students. Governor Mike DeWine was asked why it was so important for him to be there. People uh, want to at least express their sympathy. I can do that on behalf of the people of the state of Ohio. And uh, we've had other tragedies that involve uh, children. Uh, you know, I can tell the parents that I have, you know, been where they've been. Governor DeWine referring to his daughter, Becky, who died in a car crash in 1993 at the age of 22. I'm Doug Petcast. Macomb will be holding a hometown Christmas event in December. Mayor Kathy Schroll says the event's being put on by the Macomb Community Partnership. It was shortly after the Cookie Festival, since this group does the Cookie Festival, that they approached me about the possibility of doing something at Christmas. And it all fell together relatively quick. And we feel that it's going to be a very fun evening for adults and the little ones. Get more details about Macomb's hometown Christmas in the story on our website. Finley City Schools is reminding parents and students that fall break is coming up next week. It'll run from Monday, November 20th through Friday, November 24th. Don't forget you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Well, you remember about a month ago, Motor Trend announced their SUV of the year. That was the Chevrolet Blazer EV. And now they are back with the car of the year for 2024. Motor Trend senior editor Aaron Gold is with us this morning. So as we were mentioning a little bit earlier, Aaron, it is a completely fresh take on a familiar favorite, one that has earned this award before exactly 20 years ago, in fact. Yes, that's true. We're very proud to announce that Motor Trend's 2024 car of the year is the Toyota Prius. Second win since 2004. So why why the Prius? What makes this vehicle stand out from the pack? 
You know, it's funny. We know this is going to be kind of a controversial choice. Um, and of course, that's understandable because the Prius traditionally is known for fuel efficiency and, and not a whole heck of a lot else. <laughs> right. You know, this is a whole new take on the Prius. They completely rethought this car. Toyota calls it the Prius for people who would never consider a Prius. It's still very fuel efficient. The basic version now returns 57 miles per gallon. But now it's also really beautifully styled. And the really surprising thing for us is it's actually an enjoyable car to drive which is pretty much the last thing we at Motor Trend expected to be saying about a Prius. Yeah, in the uh, write-up, it is described as the first hybrid that an enthusiast can truly enjoy. And essentially, they have addressed every excuse one might give for not liking hybrids. Yeah, it's a lot quicker. They put in a larger engine, so the Prius is a lot more, a lot more powerful. And, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, Toyota kind of made it a, a mandate. Uh, Akio Toyota, who is the head of the company, made it a mandate that Toyotas had to be interesting to drive. He's an enthusiast himself. And they developed this great new architecture. It's called TNGA, which is the Toyota New Generation Architecture. It's a scalable platform, so it's underneath a lot of their vehicles, big and small. And it really gives a car a great chassis, really rewarding handling, nice steering. I mean, just head and shoulders above what we, you know, the kind of appliance-like driving experience we had come to expect from Toyotas. And we were amazed to learn that that extended to the Prius as well. Now, I know that styling was not the determining factor here, but honestly, it is hard to imagine the Prius winning without the incredible facelift that Toyota has given to this vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, advancement in design is one of the criteria that's part of the Car of the Year award. And I remember personally, when I first saw this thing, I think it was at the New York Auto Show last year. I just like, that's a Prius. What have they done to the Prius? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's really amazing. And, you know, what, what makes it a really uh, interesting challenge to me as a car guy is, you know, the, the Prius is built around a basic shape called a camback, which is the best for aerodynamics. So to be able to keep that camback shape, and yet, uh, you know, and that's a key element in, in the car getting such good fuel economy, especially on the highway, and yet also make it look like a sport coupe. I mean, that's a really amazing accomplishment. Yeah. Uh, you bring up the fact that you first saw this at the auto show last year. I know the uh, L.A. Auto Show is going on now through next weekend. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. What do you see and what do you anticipate uh trend-wise coming out of this year's L.A. Auto Show? You know, it's really interesting because, you know, traditionally L.A. is, because California has always kind of led the nation in emissions reduction and, and fuel economy and things like that, this is usually like the cutting-edge show, but actually there's kind of a very traditional element uh, to this show. You know, we're going to see the new Lucid Gravity, which is an all-electric uh, luxury SUV that we at Motor Trend are very excited about. But, you know, we're also seeing new versions of some, some real kind of bread and butter cars, new version of the Toyota Camry, uh, new version of the Hyundai Santa Fe. And I think the message here, which is an important one, is that even as the industry, you know, kind of barrels headlong into electric cars and electrified cars, that there's still plenty of attention and investment in these more traditional vehicles. And I think that's an important message for consumers who really aren't kind of ready to make that leap into electric vehicles just yet. Yeah. Um, and along those same lines, I mean, this is one of the one of the things that I wanted to, to bring up with respect to the car of the year. I mean, uh, a generation ago, ago, the car of the year was the big thing. And now it seems like cars, obviously, are, are not as popular as trucks and especially SUVs. And some might look at this and say, well, yeah, the Prius... 
but how much real competition does it have? There's still a lot of innovation in the traditional automotive space. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's interesting because if you look at the sheer number of contenders, by far SUV of the year has has many more vehicles. It's a much it's a much busier time for us to do SUV of the year than car of the year. But you know, this is still an important segment. You know, SUVs. Uh, one of the issues with SUVs is they're a lot more expensive. You know, and the uh, the Prius is a much more affordable vehicle. The basic Prius starts just over twenty eight and a half thousand dollars. There's a plug-in version, which has 45 miles of electric-only range. That's under 34 grand. A Prius Prime with all the bells and whistles is about 43. And, of course, you're talking 57 miles per gallon. A lot more than that, much further on a, on a gallon of gas if you go for the plug-in version and keep it charged. You know, and I think there's still a buyer base out there that wants a car, doesn't want a giant SUV, and is concerned about, frankly, about what they're spending. And I'll tell you, Aside from an electric car, it's 57 miles per gallon really does insulate you against sudden changes in, in gas prices. Oh, yeah. No no question. I uh, just bought a hybrid myself earlier this year. It wasn't a Prius, but uh, I, I can't imagine going back to a strictly internal combustion engine uh, moving forward. I mean, just the, the fuel economy alone is uh, tremendous. And, you know, again, we were talking about the auto show and some of the trends and so on. It has got to be an exciting time to be a part of this industry where there is just so much innovation and out-of-the-box thinking. It seems like all the traditional rules have kind of been thrown out the window and anything is possible. You know, behind the scenes, so much is changing. And if you go to MotorTrend.com and read some of our coverage of, of what we call the software-defined vehicle, you know, we, we it's, it's, it gets a little bit esoteric at this point, but the move to electrification is going to so change the industry because so much of the know-how, uh, whereas it used to be suppliers who design mechanical parts, now a lot of what defines a car is the software because for an electric car, the motors and the battery are fairly simple. It's software that really defines what the vehicle does. And that's going to get us back to almost the time of, you know, when Henry Ford invented the Model T, his idea was raw materials came in one end of the factory and cars went out the other, you know, and it's the same thing. Now, so much more of the know-how and the technology is going in-house for the automakers. And and behind the scenes, the, the changes to the industry are just huge. There's there's really good reason why the automakers are so, are so uh, bullish on electric cars, because it's going to change the business for them for the better and make it a lot more profitable. So we have the car of the year, the SUV of the year now. When is the announcement for the truck of the year? We are just a few weeks away uh, from our truck of the year announcement. We did our testing. I was one of the judges on truck of the year. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's going to be an exciting announcement as well. So in the meantime, uh, where can we get more information on the uh, new Prius, the 2024 car of the year? Well, you can visit us on the web at MotorTrend.com, and our Car of the Year uh, magazine issue will be on your newsstands before too long. All right. Motor Trend Senior Editor Aaron Gold with us this morning. Aaron, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Well, you know the folks at America's Test Kitchen, where curious cooks become confident cooks with their website, the their apps, uh, books, TV, magazines, they're everywhere. Well, America's Test Kitchen has a new book that is perfect timing 
with the upcoming holiday season, if you are hosting or if you know somebody who just loves to cook, this is a great gift idea. It is called Kitchen Gear, the Ultimate Owner's Manual. Hannah Crowley is co-author with Lisa McManus and joins us on the line this morning. And uh, Hannah, this is what I love about this. It's just exactly what the title suggests. It is an owner's manual for your kitchen. Yes, exactly, exactly. We are hoping to empower people. If you want to buy new gear, great, but we're also hoping to empower people with the gear they have. So, uh, first of all, talk a little bit about the philosophy that goes into deciding what are the most essential things to have in the kitchen and, and how you determine what stuff is worth the investment. Because there's no shortage of this stuff out there. No. Oh, my gosh. Manufacturers will sell you stuff as long as long as many as they can. So <laughs> we really tried to focus first on the gear that really can do the most. So we like to think of, you know, a castle wardrobe, right, where you've got 10 pieces that you can mix and match and make 30 different outfits. Right. We like to think of the 10 pieces of gear that you can mix and use and create the most number of dishes. So the most core thing, things like a good chef's knife, a good cutting board, a good skillet, a Dutch oven, um, a good baking sheet, a good cooling rack, um, a good spatula. We like fish spatulas, mm-hmm. not just for fish. Um, a good rubber spatula or silicone, rather, silicone spatula. Um, and this set of core items, you know, before you even get into electrics thing that you things that you plug in you know there's a certain number of core items that you are going to be able to do 80 percent of recipes with and then to break that down further there are a lot of different uh options for those key pieces to know you know what is worth the money and you know when maybe a less expensive item will do just as well Exactly. Like you wouldn't believe I've written pages and pages on wooden spoons. You know, even the most simple items are actually pretty complex once you look at look at what's available. And so our first step, we've got a bunch, we've got a team of journalists and editors. So the first step is research, really just information gathering. We'll go out, say we're testing Dutch ovens, for example. We'll go out and we'll shop online and look at as many different Dutch ovens as we can. You make a big spreadsheet, say what's out there. What are the materials? And then we think about how we use that item in the kitchen. So a Dutch oven, for example, you're using it on the stovetop. You're searing. You're making soup. You're also putting it in the oven for braises and for baking bread. You can even put it on the grill or on a live fire. So we devise testing protocols that take all of those different uses into account. And then we always also look at, one, durability, which is huge. So like for a Dutch oven... You know, when you whack the top of a pot to clear a spoon off, we're going to whack each of the pots in our testing lineup Hmm. 50 times to simulate like a year's worth of abuse. And we're also going to get different users in there because people come in all different shapes and sizes and skill levels. So what my opinion doesn't necessarily determine what someone else is going to like. So we get in different users. We run them through basic tests, like for a Dutch oven, we might have them just saute a bunch of onions in a row in 10 different Dutch ovens and give us feedback. And I think it's important to point out the reason why this is significant is because, I mean, I think a lot of people, especially 
you know, relative newbies uh, in the kitchen. And we certainly saw that a lot during the pandemic, people getting back into the kitchen. Uh, it's the right equipment can make a meal. The wrong equipment can can really ruin a meal, even if you've done everything else right. Totally. I'm sure there are people out there who think they're bad cooks, that it's not them. It's the, uh, it's the equipment. You know, if you have yeah. a thin pan, it's going to scorch your onions, you know, no matter how, how much you hover over them. So if anybody has had, thinks they're a bad cook, and it's because they made bad food, blame the equipment. It's not, it's not you. You had bad equipment, and we're going to help them put together a good set of equipment that will get the best results possible in the kitchen. Now, the book also has uh, a lot of uh, recipes in it, and many of which feature different kinds of gear. Again, you're talking about you know the basics to start with, but then you get into a lot of uh, detail on some of the other really cool things that... Uh, you know, are worth a look, and you have some examples of how you can use those in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We really tried to pick out, first of all, Lisa and I had fun because we've both been at ATK for over a decade. Lisa, 17 years, me, 13. So we've gotten to work alongside the test cook develop, test cooks developing recipes for all those years. So we got to put some of our most favorite recipes in the book, which was just so fun. Now I've got all my favorites in one spot. And we also, it's fun to think of all the different ways you can use certain tools. Like, for example, my number one made recipe in my 13 years at ATK is our thin crust pizza recipe. It makes pizza. People rave about my pizza. It's not me. It's this recipe. And you (laughs) make it in a food processor. You don't need to be some professional at meeting. Hmm. It is dead easy hands off as long as you give it that 24-hour rest time in the refrigerator that's what where the magic happens it develops the flavor you can even let it rest for up to five days in your refrigerator so it's super flexible so we tried to find recipes like that that really illustrate how many different ways a product like a food processor can be used but also it it just had to pass the test of Lisa and I being obsessed with the recipe as well. <laughs> so it's uh, great stuff. Let me ask you this. What is maybe the, um, I don't want to say the worst uh, gadget or the thing that is that you <laughs> see in a lot of kitchens that you say you really didn't need to or you really shouldn't spend money on this? Is there something that jumps out at you? Oh, that's a fun question. Well, there are a lot of different tools aimed at cutting. So like you have like the alligator chopper or um, different tools that try to help you cut vegetables mm-hmm. more easily. Yeah. Like, and I went to my friend's house once and they had this alligator chopper and they were raving about it. But my friend is not a cook and she, this thing is three parts. It's so hard to clean. Yeah. It can maybe sh- cut up your food faster than a knife, but only if you're not familiar with using a knife. So I would say ignore specialized cutting tools that okay. promise to give you good knife skills and just just work on getting good knife skills yourself. Yeah, uh, might end up saving you a lot more time in the process. Good stuff. The, uh, the book is Kitchen Gear, The Ultimate Owner's Manual. It is a fabulous book, again, for anybody who loves to be in the kitchen or a great gift idea if you know someone who does. Where do folks get more information about it real quickly, Hannah? It's available anywhere books are sold, and you can always check out our website, americastestkitchen.com. And Lisa and I have a show called Gearheads on YouTube from America's Test Kitchen, where we have a lot of fun in our testing lab presenting our results. 
Hannah, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Believe it or not, we actually have a a story uh, from Halloween uh, here, a Halloween-related story. Uh, This, I think, is the uh, last of the uh, Halloween-related stories. But uh, after a lengthy investigation, police in uh, Quadra, British Columbia, Canada, Quadra, a village in British Columbia, Police there have solved the mystery of some eerie-sounding screams heard near a ravine back on October 30th. So right around Halloween, people are hearing these eerie screams coming from a ravine. And it seems that those eerie screams emanating from the ravine were not ghosts or zombies or otherworldly goblins getting ready for the... uh, the Halloween season. Turns out it was just a mama goat calling for her babies. <laughs> Further investigation, the statement from the uh, local office of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police says further investigation revealed that the help, the cries for help that were heard was actually just a sad goat from a neighboring goat farm. <laughs> a lengthy investigation into this. Uh, apparently not much going on in Quadra, (laughs) British Columbia. So they had plenty of time to investigate the goat farm. Um, a statement uh, from the local RCMP, uh, detachment that was obtained by the uh, CBC. So this is CBC actually covering this. It was big story in uh, British Columbia. Uh, apparently, uh, Quadra located in the Discovery Islands group of small islands, on the inside passage between Vancouver Island and mainland at BC. So. <laughs> and it's not haunted. It's just a goat calling for babies. Good to know. We got the mystery solved. Uh, let's see here. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news here this morning, this is kind of crazy. A British woman got the shock of her life when she went to use the bathroom sat down on the throne and shattered her knee just from sitting on the toilet. Uh, According to the report, 26-year-old, she's just 26 years old, shattered her knee. Bethany Eason started experiencing some knee pain when she was 19. She visited a doctor who told her that there was something there after x-raying the knee but couldn't make out what it was. Uh, The pain... uh, continued and while walking up the stairs to get to her bedroom she stopped in the bathroom to take a rest and she said she sat down and her knee just shattered that something that the doctors had identified but couldn't or had seen but couldn't identify it turns out was a tumor that weakened the bones in her knee and the soft tissue surrounding it ms eason underwent both a knee and thigh bone replacement as a result of the uh, tumor, uh, it's kind of uh, kind of rare, but an aggressive tumor, non-cancerous, but aggressive, uh, that can that can grow near a joint at the end of the bone, and can cause just this sort of thing to happen. Again, fortunately, it's non-cancerous, and uh, she's going to be just fine. Um, 
They say not only, Johns Hopkins doctors say not only can it grow in the knee, but it can also appear in the bones in your arms and legs as well as the pelvis. Wow. I don't know. This is just weird. You, <laughs> you sit on the toilet. You don't expect to shatter your knee. That's weird. Thank goodness she's going to be okay, though. Uh, and um, stories of uh, brazen criminals in the broken news this morning. Uh, it, it just seems like the criminals just are not intimidated by law enforcement anymore. Have you noticed that? Criminals have just gotten more brazen. They just are not intimidated by the long arm of the law. An investigation into the library at the University of Warsaw has found that 80 rare volumes have been taken and replaced by fakes. That's crazy. Who would steal 80 library books? Now, these are rare um, 19th century books. And all told, they are worth a little over a half a million dollars. But I'm thinking, how do you fence something like that? I mean, what <laughs> is there a black market? For? Apparently, there must be. Um, authorities say the fakes have convincing-looking covers but are empty inside. Unfortunately, some of the books have already been sold at auction, they say. These books have survived a significant period, uh, several uh, wars, um, and it is an irreparable loss, according to the rector of the University of Warsaw Library. A person suspected of stealing books also visited the Latvian National Library last year. Libraries on alert. I would have never guessed that there was a big black market for stolen library books. It's crazy. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Um, vintage clothing is sort of on trend right now. And uh, you go to like antique stores, secondhand shops, vintage clothing, anything vintage is really hot. And as that trend becomes more lucrative, so has vintage counterfeiting. For example, a Sonic Youth t-shirt. Do you remember the, the musical group Sonic Youth back in the early 90s? A t-shirt for the Sonic Youth group can fetch as much as $2,000 on eBay. And it's just too much to resist for bad actors. Loads of fake stuff is getting into the market. According to Matt Sloan, who specializes in vintage clothing. Counterfeiters usually copy a design add layers to make it look old, and then they wash it multiple times so the clothes appear faded. He said, at flea markets that I go to now, they have things that are clearly fake that most people just don't realize. One red flag, the biggest red, <laughs> red flag, and this is what caught my eye on this story and made me chuckle. One red flag is seeing the same article of clothing in multiple sizes. <laughs> if the store you're at has multiple sizes of this uh, vintage clothing, it's probably fake. Should be a good, a good warning sign, you would think. But, uh, and finally, in the uh, broken news, it's actually kind of a light day in the uh, broken news, but, you know, some days you'll have that. But here's another uh, case of a, a brazen criminal act. 
A group of crooks staged a crash on the freeway in Huntington Beach, California, robbing a driver at gunpoint. Now, fortunately, nobody was hurt here. The California Highway Patrol says the robbery involved a staged traffic collision right there in the middle of the freeway involving an Infiniti SUV and a white Ford Explorer. Several suspects wearing masks and dark clothing jumped out of the vehicles and approached the victim's car that was stuck in traffic after the staged accident. They were able to get away with money and jewelry. They left one vehicle on the scene and then fled away in the Ford Explorer. The California Highway Patrol is still investigating. It's just amazing, the brazenness of criminals today. It's seeing more and more of those outlandish stories. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When local news breaks, you can hear about it on social media at lightning speed. And while getting you the information fast is important, WFIN will always present the story only after verifying with actual sourced facts. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Trust the voice that's been covering the news in Finley and Hancock County for more than 80 years. You can depend on us to get the story right every time on social media, 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and at 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Americans are struggling with debt and nowhere are they struggling more than in Utah. Interestingly enough, the Cultural Currents Institute analyzed Americans' debt and found that in terms of debt-to-income ratio, residents of Utah are the most indebted of any state. The average household in Utah owes 138% of the state's average salary. So, if you are average across the board, you owe 138% of what you make. Now, when it comes, that's in terms of percentage. When it comes in terms of absolute debt, folks in Colorado have the most, with an average of 89170 per household. Which sounds like a lot, but remember, that includes mortgage debt. And uh, now, in Colorado, it so happens that homes are quite expensive, but not everybody is a homeowner, which draws down the average. So, it's not like in Colorado, they've got $87,000 worth of you know revolving to credit card debt or anything. This actually took into account uh, mortgages and student loans and other kinds of loans and credit cards and all kinds of debt factored in. Uh, what I thought was uh, kind of interesting, um, when it comes to, they, they broke it down by political affiliation, which I thought was kind of interesting. And they found that the blue states have more absolute debt, but red states have more debt relative to income. So... I, I don't know if that says anything, whether that's significant other than just being interesting, but uh, it's probably not surprising that liberal states have more absolute debt because they tend to be more expensive places to live. For example, uh, Californians owe the most on their mortgages, um, but on the other end of the spectrum, in Alabama, a deeply red state, they have the most credit card debt. 
Uh, and again, relative to income, that skews those numbers. By the way, some good news in this, and this is one of the reasons I bring this up, Ohio ranks 45th overall. So near the bottom, we are among the least indebted states in the nation. Ohio ranks 45th overall with an average of $44,210 in debt compared to an average salary of $56,530 in the state. So that works out to, uh, on average, Ohioans owe 78% of their income, their annual uh, income. And that's enough to uh, put us... That's where you want to be. On this list, you want to be near the bottom. And indeed, Ohio is. Once again, my wife, Kyra, has joined us in the studio this morning with another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen. Our Around the World Tour... Uh, well, we started in Mexico, I think, yes. and it uh, has taken us to Europe and across Scandinavia, yep. and we return to North America <laughs> this morning for a collection of easy Canadian recipes, Yeah, which that's kind of interesting. I never really think, why, I don't know why it is, you know, we think of uh, Mexican recipes as ethnic and, yeah. you know, European recipes, Italian and Irish, and we've done all those yeah. Swiss and, you know, Swedish recipes and Asian recipes, Indian recipes, but Canadian recipes, Yeah, I mean, you just don't think of no. Canadian recipes, but... We have a collection of Canadian recipes, and we begin with a, and this sounds like a great recipe for a day like today, oh, where it's yeah. just kind of I gray. I made it this and, week. We've got a bunch in the freezer. Yeah, <laughs> rainy and gray and gloomy. It is a Canadian cheese soup. Yes. So three cups of chicken broth, four medium potatoes cubed, one cup of celery chopped, one cup of carrots sliced half a cup of onions diced, one leek. Remove the top and slice that up. Two teaspoons of sea salt or kosher salt, a half a teaspoon of pepper, two cups of cooked cubed ham. And then for your cheese sauce, it's a half a cup of unsalted butter, a half a cup of gluten-free flour or your all-purpose flour. I just use all-purpose flour Mm -hmm. for us. Uh, Two cups of milk, two cups of heavy cream, and one pound of cheddar cheese. So it's a whole pound of cheddar cheese. It's a lot of cheese, but it's really ooey gooey good. (laughs) This is a cheese soup. No mistake in that. Okay. So in a large pot, simmer the first eight ingredients together until the vegetables are tender. Melt your butter in a saucepan over medium heat and then whisk in the flour to combine. Slowly add the cream and milk. Whisk until fully combined. Add your cheese and stir until completely melted. About five minutes or so more. Then add your cheese sauce to your ham sauce and your potato and your um, in your veggies. And then uh, stir all that to combine. Let it simmer just for a few minutes, and you're ready. What it, What do they call the the cheese? Uh, the roux? fountain. The the cheese fountain. Oh, a the, cheese fountain. Uh, yes. Um, what is that word? The fondue. I can't think. The fondue. This fondue. is like uh, oh, yeah. fondue soup. Yes. Uh, almost. Oh, yeah, it the is. Canadian it's very thick. cheese soup. Oh, yeah. it's really good. It is good. Uh, also, have a recipe for Canadian butter tarts. Yes. Yeah, so this, I the reason I <laughs> but, chose this butter tarts. Yes. 
I just love it. It's not particularly exotic, but yeah. it's Canadian. Yeah. So it's well, butter tart. But the thing yeah. is, is it kind of has your sweet and your salty okay. with these two. All right. So you have this with your soup because um, it's the sweet and salty. Okay. <laughs> so it kind of right. balances each other out. So your crust is two and a half cups of flour, one tablespoon of sugar, one teaspoon of fine sea salt, one cup of unsalted butter, cold and three-fourths cup of water cold. Now, if you're not a big crust person like me, you can always just go to the store and get your... <laughs> just just get buy your, a crust. Yeah, buy your crust but and these, cut it. We've but, got the recipe yes, in case you want to make your own. Yes. Okay. So your filling is a half a cup of unsalted butter at room temperature, a half a cup of brown sugar, two eggs at room temperature, one cup of maple syrup. Gotta be maple syrup if That's it's right. Canadian. That's right. A quarter teaspoon of fine sea salt and one teaspoon of vanilla extract. So your crust, using a food processor, pulls the flour, sugar, and salt. Add the cold butter in chunks. Pulls five to eight, t- five to ten, or five to eight times, or until the butter is in small pieces. So it's going to be like almost like pea. You know, it's going to be pea-sized chunks. Yeah, yeah, like okay. little chunks. Yeah. Add your cold water. Pulse until the dough starts to come together. Uh, turn the dough. Um, onto plastic and then wrap that up and cover it and um, and then you're going to refrigerate that for at least an hour to kind of let it it's just easier to work mm-hmm. um, with kind of let it set yeah. a bit yeah it's going to be super sticky and don't worry about that it's that's normal sprinkle a small amount of flour on a uh, surface roll uh, one of your um, rolls one of your dough balls uh, about one eight inch thick uh, use a round uh, cutter or a lid four inches and cut 15 pieces. Okay. Grease your muffin pan uh, completely. Press a small dough circle into the bottom of each cup. Refrigerate until making the, the filling. Preheat the oven to 350 degrees for the filling, for the filling cream the butter, the sugar together in a large dish with a um, with a pouring spout. So if you've got like a mm-hmm. la- large measuring cup like glass, use that. Yeah. Add your eggs one at a time. Add the maple syrup, salt, and vanilla extract. The filling is um, is a chunky custard and very loose. That's why you want to put it in that uh, glass uh, dish because okay. you're going to pour that into each of your cups. Um, and then bake for 25 minutes. Let the tarts cool for about five minutes in a pan. Remove and enjoy. There you go. So the uh, Canadian butter tarts yes. with the Canadian cheese soup. And then for dessert, mm-hmm. uh, what a name. This is flapper pie. Yeah, flapper okay. pie. So crust is a graham cracker crust. So one and a fourth cups of graham cracker crumbs, a half a cup of sugar, quarter cup of unsalted butter, about a half a stick, a quarter teaspoon of ground cinnamon, and a half a teaspoon of salt. And then for the filling, two and a half cups of milk, a half a cup of sugar, quarter cup of cornstarch, three egg yolks, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, quarter teaspoon of salt, and then your topping, three eggs. This is your... um, uh, your three eggs, a quarter cup of sugar, and a quarter teaspoon of cream of tartar. So preheat oven to 350 degrees and a medium bowl. Whisk together your graham crackers, uh, your sugar, your cinnamon, and salt. Then stir in your butter. Um, should uh, should feel like or should look like sand, mm-hmm. you know, your sand. Yeah. So you're going to reserve two t- tablespoons of that for the top of your 
uh, you can put that on the top of your meringue. Top it, yeah, yep. okay. So press the rest into the pie pan, making sure to press up the sides as well of your pie pan. Place the pie, pan, pie plate in the oven and bake for 10 to 12 minutes or until lightly browned. Remove from the oven and let it cool. Whisk together your sugar and your cornstarch in a medium saucepan over medium heat. Stir in your milk and your egg yolk. Very slowly bring to a boil. While stirring continuously, mixture will thicken quickly. Remove from the heat. Once it's thickened, then stir in your vanilla extract, your salt. Let that cool. In a separate bowl, beat your eggs and your cream of tartar together three to four minutes or until soft peaks. Um, that is your topping. So then once um, you've made your meringue, then um, let your pie cool. And add your meringue to that, and then you can just sprinkle it with some of your graham crackers, mm-hmm. and um, and then just let that in uh, cool a little bit more and yep. enjoy. You'll, you'll let it set, and yep. you're let good to go. Let it set and yep. and enjoy the flapper pie along yes. with the Canadian cheese soup and the Canadian butter tarts. Our easy Canadian recipes yes. from Kyra's Kitchen are around the world tour. You can find those recipes on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook. We also have them linked up at goodmornings.net. My wife, Kyra, thanks very much. You're welcome. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program, of course, at our webpage, and that is goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday morning on the program, a short week counting down to the holiday, we have details on the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation's National Civics Bee for middle school students, plus showing our thanks to all who have served The Library of Congress wants to preserve your stories as part of their ongoing Veterans History Project. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.